as I was mapping out the preaching calendar uh, way back in December, the, the rest of the book of Mark, and trying to pace it out so that we would arrive at Easter at the right time, just in the right place in the text. I was thinking that it would be another Easter celebration like so many others before. Predictable, comfortable, a great celebration. Emotionally, we, we would be uh, celebrating much like we did last year. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. But perhaps emotionally, the backdrop we find ourselves in this year is, is more closely connected to the, the real emotion of the, uh, the moment, maybe closer to authentic. Jesus had died on Friday afternoon, and there was now radio silence. I mean, there was nothing but people, uh, followers of Christ, who were in lockdown for fear, fear of their lives. Easter 2020 will go down, I think, in history as a, glo- a total global lockdown for fear of death. Uh, I've preached probably about 25 Easter sermons, maybe something like that. I've never had a better backdrop, I think, than to, uh, than to hopefully captivate people's attention. Listen up, world. Listen carefully. We need to face our fears. What has become abundantly clear in this Covidian crisis is that people are pathologically terrified of death. In fact, um, people are willing to give up their jobs, willing to flirt with poverty, voluntarily giving away their freedoms, all because we are terrified of death. The Bible calls death, of course, the last enemy. It is something that brings great fear to people for good reason. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 3, a part of verse 3, I'm going to shift it around. He he writes there to the Christians and he speaks to the Christians, but I'm I'm going to change the verses as if he was speaking to those people who don't know Jesus. And here's the, here's the reality of their situation. As for you, you are dead in your tres- transgressions and sins. You are by nature objects of God's wrath. As we understand that scripture text carefully, from, cradle, from the cradle people are dead. We are dead in our transgressions and our sins. That's why people are so fearful. If no one was afraid, uh, the reason people are afraid, of course, is because they are dead in their trespasses and sins, destined for eternal death. The tomb of Easter is God's dramatic way of calling us to wake up. You don't have to live with the dread of the tomb, with the dread of death. You don't have to live dead and in a tomb. The question of Easter is this. Who will roll your stone away? The stone that keeps you imprisoned in a state of dead and afraid. And the good news of Easter is this. The stone has been rolled away by Christ. He is alive and has conquered death for us. We no longer need to fear. Anybody interested in hearing the details? I hope so. 
I'm sure you are. Listen, Mark chapter 16, grab your Bibles. Mark chapter 16, listen to this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads and pray for a moment. Father, as we have this, your word before us, as we have the opportunity, the occasion again, Lord, for many of us, uh, many times over, we have retold this story and it brings great joy and great delight to our hearts. We want to thank you, O oh God, for your incredible mercy and grace toward us in Christ Jesus. Lord God, I pray for those who are listening to us today. I pray, Father, uh, for those who know you and love you. I pray this may be a, a rehearsal of the joy and, 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 uh, and um, great uh, uh, rejoicing that it brings to the heart to know that we have been set free by Christ. I pray for those, Father, who may not know you or are struggling today, struggling in their faith, struggling to, to believe, not sure they believe. I pray, O oh God, that in the retelling of your story, through the power of your Spirit, that you will touch lives at every level this day. And I pray, Father, that there will be changes made in hearts today by the work of your Spirit everywhere this Word of God goes out in all churches that are faithful to the Word of God today. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, you're interested in hearing some introductory details about this whole event to better understand what really happened on this momentous day. Uh, death, we know, occurred, according to the Scriptures, at 3 p.m. in the afternoon on Friday. Uh, Friday was the day of preparation before the Sabbath, which would be Saturday. It was a special Sabbath. Everything that needed to get done had to get done on the day of preparation. Uh, if the crucifixion took place and the death of Jesus took place at 3 o'clock, as the text tells us, there was only three hours left in preparation before the Sabbath would begin. Because the Sabbath would always begin at sundown or at 6 p.m. on Friday and carry through till 6 p.m. on Saturday. That was the Jewish Sabbath. So now there are three hours left to, in a hurry, get things taken, taken care of. We know that, that Joseph of Arimathea asked for Jesus' body. It was the property of Rome, and Pilate had given him the body. He makes, in haste, a, a hurried burial, buys some linen cloth, wraps it around Jesus, and hurries and and buries him in his tomb, or places him in his tomb, his own personal tomb. But there was no, nothing else, no other preparation done. 
In fact, it's interesting because this whole Friday, Saturday, Sunday reality is, is the actual three days that Jesus has, had predicted would be his passion. He would be, he would be crucified, he would be raised, he would be buried, and he would be raised again. And it had to take place over a three-day window. It was because of the Sabbath that this whole thing required three days to take place. It says in the text that early, um, early Sunday morning, when the Sabbath, when the, in other words, when the Sabbath was over, which would be early Sunday morning, it says that the uh, women went and purchased spices, uh, which is, which is why the, the, the resurrection, of course, of Jesus Christ occurred on, on Sunday. Which is why Christians celebrate and have celebrated since the first century uh, on Sundays. Because Sunday is the day of celebration. Sunday is the day of, of Christ's resurrection. Sunday is the day that death was conquered for us. And so we celebrate this day. Uh, the temple worship... Uh, because of what Christ has done, was now transitioned to the one, Christ Jesus. He is our, our, the, the focus of our worship. Jesus himself said in John chapter 2, verse 19, destroy this temple, and of course he meant his body, and I will raise it again in three days. And so we're in anticipation of the text here. Another interesting detail before we launch into this is that um, the prime witnesses to the very foundation of our Christian belief were women. This is startling, really. And what is the foundation of our Christian belief? Uh, Paul writes of it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the foundation of Christian belief. Women were the prime witnesses to this reality. Now, it's not surprising that God would give this great um, blessing to women. These particular women had uh, served the Lord. They'd prayed for the ministry of Christ. They'd financially supported his itinerant ministry. They ha these are the godly women represented in churches for 2,000 years who plead for their families, who plead for the faith of their families, their children, their, their husbands, that they might come to know Christ. This story has been repeated throughout the ages. But there's something fascinating here and quite important for us to note. That if Christianity were a clever lie, those who crafted it would never choose as key witnesses women. Women in that particular era were not considered reliable witnesses. This is one more evidence of the truth of the story that we are re retelling again today. That women would be key witnesses to foundational Christian truth. The central doctrine of the church. Mark, interestingly, bookends the passion with women. A woman anointing the body of Christ. And finally, women who are the first on the scene of the tomb. Now, Mark, and we know this, Mark does not record all of the details. But the details that he does record, the details that he chooses, are a sermon, are a sermon of truth for people in stressful times. I'm going to make no attempt to supplement with other gospel details. I want to look at exactly what the Holy Spirit gave to Mark for his gospel as he related to us. And so I want to look very, 
I move very rapidly through the text, stay close to the text this morning, but I want to move very rapidly, and I want to share with you seven big-time life-giving lessons. Seven big-time life-giving lessons. I hope you're ready for this. You don't have to live, I don't have to live in fear of death anymore. Our globe is locked up, terrorized by the fear of death. The good news is this. None of us, we do not have to live today in terror of death. This is the good news of the Easter story. So on their way to the tomb, the women were loaded with spices to prepare to anoint a dead body. And they asked the question, who will roll the stone away? I think the first important insight for us to note here is that they did not expect a resurrection as was taught and promised them. They had gone after Sabbath. Now it's permissible. They're able to go and purchase spices. They were purchasing spices to go and anoint a dead body. They did not expect to find anyone alive. But we already know that Christ's body had been anointed before by the woman who anointed his body for his burial. And he talks about that, and Mark shares that with us in Mark 14, verse 8. So these women arrived with no sense of hope whatsoever. And they really haven't thought this through. They wondered to each other, because they had seen the tomb where Joseph of Arimathea had laid Jesus' body, and they knew that there was this this uh, rock stone that had been rolled over the tomb. And Mark takes the opportunity right now in the text to point out that it was a very large stone. And that very large stone is rolled away. What could this mean? Well, curiously, the women, it says in the text, go and look in the tomb and discover that the tomb isn't empty. But there is no Jesus there either. It says that As they entered, verse 5, the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a a white robe sitting on the right side. A a young man dressed in a white robe. A description that is played out for us in a a number of places in Scripture to describe an angel. Angels regularly appeared dressed in in the form of a human. And in Daniel chapter 8, verses 15 and to verse 18, there is a similar description of a, of a man dressed in white, sitting on the right side, which is always in the Bible a place of honor. And their reaction, it says in the text, they were alarmed. Of course they were alarmed. Everybody, the women, the disciples, the couple or few Sanhedrin disciples that had secretly followed Jesus, had come to full stop as far as uh, Jesus goes. His historic mission had come to an end as far as they were concerned. Or was it? Or had it? I mean, what is the meaning here of the empty tomb? Verses 4 through 6. The uh, discussion, the conversation that this angel has with uh, the women. He says to them, first of all, verse 6, don't be alarmed. You've come to the right tomb. You've come to the, the right person. You, you, you've come looking for Jesus of Nazarene. You've come to the right place. 
And then he says to them, see, he was laid here, but he is not here because he has risen. Jesus' miserable death has been reversed. Physical death has no hold on Jesus. Oh, what a glorious truth this is. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 and 23. Listen to this. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That's why we um, share with each other in celebration on Easter morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed because of this text in Scripture. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, listen, underline that in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. The first fruits of those who fall asleep, those who belong to Him. In other words, those who belong to Jesus, who die, who fall asleep, will be raised like He's raised. He is the first fruit of the rest of us. So what do we do? Should, what should we do? I don't know what to do. Verses, verse, chapter, verse 7. Don't be alarmed, the angel says. Do something about it. Notice what he says in verse 7. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter. Those who have already scattered with fear. And the one who's denied me. This is just the beginning of good news. Should anyone not know how to get on the, way, on the Jesus way? I don't know what to do. So here is this angel. God has sent to us down through the ages angels and prophets and preachers and given us his scriptures. And in these last days, he has spoken to us through, God's, through his son. And he says to them, go. Go and find Jesus, the Nazarene. It reminds us of the story earlier where the question is asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> this Jesus. And he'll be in Galilee, the angel says, according to his word. It's interesting because Mark's gospel begins with a messenger of God, John the Baptist, in Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And now here we have a book ends at the end of this story, and the end of this part of the story ends with God's messenger, an angel. So we are not left ignorant concerning what God wants for us or what we should do. I don't know what to do. Uh, God tells us what to do. Obey what God has given you. Obey what God has said to you. Obey the messengers that God has sent to you. His word to us. So, verse 7, as we continue on, it's interesting that the angel particularly says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told. He's referring, of course, to the disciples who have scattered. But he makes Jesus, the, the angel commissioned by God makes special note to tell Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. Now, in, we first need to notice, of course, that the that the message has been given to this angel by the risen Savior, by Christ, pointing out that this is just the beginning of the mission. The mission is to be ongoing. The gospel is going to go global. 
And to hide this truth or to fail to, to proclaim it would be disobedience. So, so let's go and do this. But, but he makes special note of Peter. And there's a reason for that. Jesus wants Peter to know that mess up is not fatal. Peter had denied Jesus, of course, just hours before. We know that. Days before. We know that. And I'm sure Peter was wondering if he was disqualified now from, from anything beyond that. Jesus, in tender mercy and full of grace, reaches out specifically to Peter. And you know what? You could insert your name there. You see, the resurrection changes everything. It ends death. It revokes destruction. It annuls sin Jesus is emphatically stating to Peter at this moment, Peter, I have forgiven you of your sin. Tell Peter he's still in the game. There's no give up with Jesus on us, regardless of the size or duration of our failure. So you can insert your name there. Rick, I will work through you even if you've messed up. But there's another detail here that the angel gives as a messenger of Christ. He tells them to go to, to Galilee, fifth, fifth in our mind-blowing, uh, big life-giving lessons. And that is this, why should they go to Galilee? Why should we go to Galilee? I want to transfer this to us. He says in the text, he's going on ahead of you. And the word that the angel uses here is, is, is a word that is used for a commander leading his troops. It's not a passive word. This is a, a very energetic word that he is going on ahead. Your captain is still in the game. Your, your captain's gone on before you. Your captain is going to lead you in the gospel message as he said. In, in Mark chapter 14 verse 28, Jesus said that... that after all of these events took place, he would meet them again in Galilee. He's following along with in his word. We need to understand that the empty tomb proved nothing. But the point that Christ is making through this messenger is this. Tell them to come to Galilee where they will see me. The empty tomb means nothing or proves nothing until they see the risen Christ. There you will see him just as he told you. So why did he pick Galilee? Why not Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the place of their failure. Galilee was the place of their commission. Jesus was doing a start over with them, a reload, a regroup, a start over. I would encourage you to think and reflect deeply on this. Maybe you've had a failure in your own life. Remember and go back to the place of your commission. The place where Christ called you. The place where, where Christ summoned you into his family. Maybe you've had a lengthy period of, of disobedience to God. Maybe right now you're living in disobedience to Christ. You're away from him. I would encourage you. Go back to the place of your call. Go back to the place of your commissioning. Go and encounter Jesus afresh. 
to touch him and be touched by him all over again. The scales would fall off of their eyes, their spiritual blindness. He was commissioning them to a new way of life that the cross now reveals. To finally say goodbye to me and yes to Christ as my Lord. Not just my Savior, but my Lord and my Savior. They needed finally to lose their lives to find their lives in him. For me, the place and the call of my commission is Guelph and the beautiful people, God's people in Guelph who affirmed God's call in my life. Where is it for you? If you are and continue to be addicted to yourself, you can't have Jesus. And you will remain paralyzed in your fears. Fear and faith can't coexist. They don't package well together. Consider the ladies at the tomb. If you, by the way, if you want to see Jesus, this is literally what the angel is saying to the disciples. If you want to see Jesus, you have to go. You have to go to him. And you have to follow him. And you have to obey what he says. Any who weren't willing to make the journey to Galilee would fail to follow Jesus. So consider these ladies in our sixth point. What was their response? Trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. Why is everyone still afraid? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that God has lots of work yet to do. Even among those categorized as among his very best, the women who followed him and served him and loved him, And it says in the text, they said nothing to anyone. Why? Because they were afraid. Our world is locked down in fear. Fear of death. You will never, listen, you will never learn to lose your life unless you can learn to lose your fear. Your fear of disappointment. Your fear of persecution. Your fear of sickness. Your fear of suffering. Jesus went through this weekend ordeal that we might be able to lose our lives in him so that we would really know how to live. So that we would really be able to experience life. So that we would no longer be afraid of death. We can't lose our fear in our own strength. Our flesh is weak. We can't gain faith in our own strength. So what's the great news as we wrap this up this morning? The fulfillment of every good thing depends upon God 
and not you. Aren't you glad today to know that? If anything good is going to happen in my life, it has to be because of God. They were wondering as they came upon the tomb, who will roll the stone away? It's always about God. We are weak. God is strong. God rolled the tomb stone away. God raised Jesus from the dead. God rolled the stone away to show that Jesus wasn't there. God will enable you to lose your fears so you can lose your life in Christ and gain it. Fulfillment of every good thing depends upon God and not you. Jesus rolled the stone away. Among my favorite verses in the Bible, if not my favorite, is Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What a great verse. The one, the, the Lord has told us, the one who tries to save his life will lose it. But the one who gives up his life will gain it and will bring life to others. The great news of Easter is this. Jesus is alive. Death is defeated. No more fear. And you and I are invited to belong and to be rescued from death and destruction. And God does the work. God does all the work of changing us through our obedience to him. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Oh, Father, thank you for this glorious message. Thank you for the great sacrifice of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave up his life as a substitute for us, taking our sins upon himself, taking our sins to the cross, taking us to the cross in our place. That we might lose our life in Christ. That we might finally say goodbye to me. That we might have our lives in Christ. That we might gain our lives through his sacrifice for us. Father, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that guarantees our resurrection. It guarantees our life. It, it gives to us holy boldness. To fear nothing, Lord, while all others are locked down, panicking in fear, may we not fear. We have been given life everlasting. And oh God, I pray that those who are in panic mode, listening even this morning to this, might turn their lives over to Christ, the one who grants life, the one who has defeated the last enemy, death. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were under the wrath of God. We are no longer in Christ. Oh, Father, I thank you for that truth. And I praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen.